Welcome to the Grow My Salon Business podcast, where we focus on the business side of hairdressing. I'm your host, Anthony Whitaker, and I'll be talking to thought leaders in the hairdressing industry, discussing insightful, provocative, and inspiring ideas that matter. So get ready to learn, get ready to be challenged, get ready to be inspired, and most importantly, get ready to grow your salon business. Hey, it's Anthony Whitaker here, and welcome to today's episode of the Grow My Salon Business podcast. And whether this is your first time or you're a regular listener, as I always say, it's great to have you here with us today. And I do have a little favor to ask of you, and that is that you rate and review us on the Apple Podcast app. By doing that, it does help other people to find us, but more importantly, it motivates us to keep producing great content for you. So all you need to do is go to the Apple Podcast app, search Grow My Salon Business, scroll to the bottom of the page, select ratings and reviews, and write a review. And we would be very appreciative, and it only takes you a few seconds. So with that said, on with today's show. I'm currently doing a series of monthly Facebook Live interviews on behalf of John Paul Mitchell Systems, and both the guests and the content have been amazing. So I'm also repurposing them as my weekly podcast. The first one is going to be today's episode, where I spoke with two new salon owners, Clinton Norris and Lucas Downey, who, along with Clinton's wife, Lauren, are salon and school owners in San Diego. They're also extremely nice people who have some very interesting insights into the salon of today. So I know that you will enjoy this episode where we discuss changing salon business models, business in a post-COVID world, generational changes, life as an educator, and lots more. So without further ado, welcome Clinton Norris and Lucas Downey. Awesome. Thanks so much, Anthony. Appreciate you having us on. Yeah, happy to be oh. a part of this. Good. Yeah, me too. I'm really I'm you know we've had a we've had a little bit of a pre-chat and mm-hmm. uh you know I love I love talking to you. I love your your passion for the industry. And your, you know, optimism and positivity about uh, about what you're doing. So um, let's let's just jump straight in and have this, you know, conversation about your salon business model, which which you you very consciously um, don't just refer to it as a salon business. You also call it a creative space. So I want to talk to you about that. Um, and I also, you know, I want to talk sort of general insights about the evolution of the industry and how you see it. So, um, let's start off with this. Your salon slash creative space is based in San Diego. And, uh, I want to ask you straight off the bat, where did the name citizen come from? Because I think it's a great name. Oh, I'm, uh, Clinton's got to take this one. Yeah, so we we actually, my my wife and I, we worked as educators in a Paul Mitchell school. And so uh, when we started having kids, you know, we wanted to be able to give them the attention that they deserve. And we're in charge of these little souls here for a little bit. So we were thinking, what's the best way for us to be able to be as involved in their lives as possible, uh, but still be able to support them? So uh, we decided to uh, get a sola space. And uh, it was just her and I, and we kind of rented it out to a couple of girls and we wanted it to be something where it wasn't just us. You know, we'd heard a long time ago that if you want to go really far, go with other people. 
And so how do we get everybody involved in the process of what we're doing? And we thought, you know, it'd be cool if they were almost like citizens, like everybody in there had a piece and a say and an opinion about the place because previously in salons that we'd worked at, it was more top down, you know, like Mm -hmm. this is how we do things. This is what we do. This is when we do it. This is how we shampoo. So we drape people. These are clips that we use. And so we were thinking like, we want people to be individuals and then we want them to be citizens and to have an opinion and a quote unquote vote, you know, on what we do. And so citizen just seemed so perfect for what we wanted to do. And then our clientele as well. I mean, I think surveys uh, have such an impact on the way people could or should do business. So in my opinion, you know, we wanted their opinion to be involved. We're not taking surveys from our clients just yet. And maybe that's something you could give us advice on. But we uh, we want them to be as involved as we are in the process of creating our culture and our space and the energy that we have there. Okay, cool. Great answer. Um, this, the idea of space, you know, calling it citizen salon and creative space. Mm-hmm. What else goes on there i mean obviously it's fundamentally a hairdressing salon but but uh uh lucas you know what are some of the sort of things that go on in that creative space other than doing hair so what's kind of cool is even on the outside of the building we've said like you know citizen salon creative space and you know we've hosted events that include like open houses so we do like, you know, a community event. We can invite local businesses, mm-hmm. clients, their families, things like that. So we can create this little hub in the community, you know, hosting um, the open house. We had haircut demonstrations. We had a local person that does like charcuterie boards. She set something up. We have, you know, local artists bring their um, the things that they create, like earrings and pottery and, pottery and candles plants. and things like that plants mm-hmm. so for us we want this space to be used by anyone and everyone you know we've had people rent it out for photo shoots we've had people rent it out mm-hmm. and do like uh, a big like social event and dinner thing mm-hmm. and you know we're lucky enough to actually have a creative space inside the creative space which yeah. is where we are now yeah. so we've got this little yeah. rush doll effect <laughs> and um we, we try and maximize the space and use it for as many things as possible and we've got a lot of education on the on the calendar as yeah. far as hosting educators through our distributor things like that so that we can invite local salons and still push the idea of community over competition yeah yeah. When you, because um, I've seen a couple of other people, not a lot, do that to start to incorporate, you know, other product that's not hairdressing. So sometimes jewelry or, or, or items of clothing or whatever. Um, and sometimes people get it horribly wrong. And, and it looks like the, you know, proverbial flea market, so to speak. Um, what are some tips that you've got around getting that right so that you're sort of curating you know a, a, a collection of stuff that looks like it belongs and reflects who you are as a brand and what you're all about that's such a great question because um like you said it we don't want it to look like a flea market where you come here and you could you know get some you could pay a barista to get some coffee and then you could also get a dress and then you could also, you know what I mean? Like you we also don't get a haircut. You also get a haircut while you're here, you know, and we wanted it to have a focus, but then also be able to support the people that support us. Um, yeah. So for instance, things like earrings or, you know, we have a lot, there's a clip company, um, things like that, that support 
the beauty industry, I think, is important instead of maybe supporting a fashion industry. Uh, it's very difficult, I think, to um, curate a specific area of your salon space. Yeah. That doesn't look like it's a, a space within a space within a space. And there's like a bunch of different things going on. You kind of get this like you wander around and don't know where you're at. So we wanted to be focused on hair. But then the things that we have in the salon support that. So earrings supporting the, you know, a lot of people, if they cut their hair really short, they're like, oh, my gosh, I feel like I lost all my femininity. So here, yeah. there's some earrings that'll help out with that. Or if their hair's getting long and they're growing it out, here's what we can do in the process. We'll teach you how to twist it up. Here's some amazing clips that you can use. So everything supports the the hair piece of what we have going on in the salon instead of, I mean, kids' clothes and all these other things that you could be selling or purses or something. So we want everything to be in here to support our hair industry portion. I think in addition to that too, talking about support is like, 99% of the things we carry that are not directly hair related are all local. Yeah. So we try and support the local community as much as they're going to support mm -hmm. us. So carrying candles mm -hmm. that are locally made in the area, mm -hmm. you know, clay earrings made by an artist that's local, like lives down the street. Mm -hmm. So that's important to us because, you know, as much as we want people to support our small business, we're going to turn it around and support theirs too. Yeah. And, and do you treat that as a sort of an ongoing thing or do you do you sort of, you know, do it more as like a pop up, you know, that like this month we're featuring candles by a local candle maker or this month we're featuring earrings by a local jewelry designer? You know, is it, is it sort of a pop up thing or an ongoing thing or is this still sort of in a state of, you know, evolving? Yeah, I think we have it as uh, there's a stationary area that's dedicated to the support materials for the hair piece that we do. But um, those things do rotate in and out. There's some things that we'll add to it. Um, we have some lip glosses right now just because it is like some chapstick stuff because it is summertime and we are three blocks from the ocean. And yeah. so a lot of people are spending their days like out on the beach. And so that's one of the other things that we can do to support it during this season. So sometimes it's seasonal. We'll, we'll adjust some things here and there. But there are some stationary things that we do keep like clips and stuff like that that will support them styling their hair in the future when they leave. Yeah, cool. Okay. All right. Let's talk about the hairdressing side of it. Um, what What is the the business model that you've got? How do you, you know, are they employees? Is it rental? Do you have a hybrid of the two? What's going on from that perspective? Um, this is, this is a funny one. Cause as yeah. we talked about it in our pre-call, we're trying to, trying to bridge a gap, you know? So mm -hmm. we at Citizen Salon and Creative Space, everybody is self-employed. So they're all technically booth rental. Um, but what we've really focused on trying to maintain is that that culture and that community in our space. So mm -hmm. we do operate just like a, a commission salon as far as like teamwork and um, certain things we provide for the team. But um, they are responsible for, you know, their back bar, sundries, things like that, like color and developer and whatnot and, and their weekly rental. But we try and still maintain that sense of community and support in the sense that you know, everybody works as a team. We do education together. Um, so that helps us kind of control, for lack of a better word, control or encourage to maintain the environment we have. Mm -hmm. So we don't get the bizarre flea market salon that you, you know, sometimes see with the booth rent model, but we're able to kind of create this uh, team atmosphere while still having a booth rental. So they get the benefits of, you know, not all of, but a lot of benefits 
that you would see in a commission salon, but the freedom of a booth rent. So, well, I think we found challenges with both models where commission and booth rental, there were these big challenges that we saw with both having experience that we have with commission salons working for them. Um, we saw challenges there. And then we also saw challenges with other booth rental salons. So we were thinking, how could we extract the benefits of both and create this hybrid experience for hairdressers? Because working in hair school, sometimes I found that people couldn't hack it in the salon and they just weren't making enough money. So they had to become an educator um, or just, you know, go somewhere where they got insurance where they're now working at Trader Joe's and doing hair in their kitchen. You know, so we we wanted to kind of take the benefits of both. How do we give them freedom? How do we have them or allow them to make as much money as they want to make? Um, and then how do we also provide the things that a commission salon would provide, like, you know, take home on the shelves for them to sell and them to use? How do we provide a towel service, um, education and, and create a community and a culture without them being stuck in a commission based pay scale? Uh, so we kind of did this little hybrid of an experiment um, and it seems to be working out phenomenal so far. We haven't been as happy as we have been under this model. Yeah, I mean, like, I've, I haven't been there, obviously, but, you know, talking to you and looking at what you do on Instagram and all that, it, it looks like, a, you know, something that's really cohesive and it looks like it's got a strong, defined team culture. But that's the thing that I also get a bit confused, for want of a better word, about. Uh, and and that's what you mentioned, um, you know, a minute ago, Lucas, where you said what a lot of people say in the one sentence, they say, I want them to be independent, so I want them to be self-employed, mm -hmm. but I also want there to be a team atmosphere and we want to control the culture. Mm -hmm. And when you combine all of that with the fact that you're based in California, and uh, as every American hairdresser will know, the, the laws vary from state to state, but particularly in California, there is a, you know, a, a, a very defined and in some ways restrictive business model, maybe compared to what it used to be. I, I hope I've said that the right way. Yeah. And that the, um, the IRS, that so much of it comes down to the IRS as to what is that definition of are they an employee, are they a renter, you know, uh, and I've got to be really careful because I'm, I'm not American, obviously, and I'm, I, want, <laughs> I want to make sure I don't get the terminology wrong. But I know right. enough to know that the word control, that as soon as you start talking about control, whether it's over the products they use, the hours they work, the prices they charge, the clothes they wear, mm. then the IRS starts to say, hang on, they're an employee. Mm -hmm. Now, you've got this great culture, but they're not employees. So how do you, how have you managed to do that, to create that team culture, the culture that you want, that is working for you as business owners, but it's also working for them, and is also, you know, in line legally with what the definitions are of being self-employed? I think... Uh you know, for us, one thing that we've maintained from day one is transparency and honesty. And I think that, you know, as Clinton said, it like trickles down from the top. And for us, we've always been honest and transparent about what our goals are with the space and what we're looking to create. So any team member that joins, you know, Citizen Salon Creative Space understands like what direction we're going. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we've been really slow to hire and fast to fire. And mm -hmm. for us, it's, 
you know, finding the right people that want to be a part of the, a part of the journey and mm -hmm. a part of the team. And, you know, from day one, we've given everybody a sense of ownership and being transparent and honest, and they take ownership of the space just like we do. And they hold themselves accountable and they hold each other accountable. So, um, you know, it's, it's so cliche to say, but I would never ask anyone here to do anything I wouldn't do. Typically mm -hmm. I'll take the worst jobs, you know, like, Hey, this is broken. This is <laughs> changing doorknobs. Yeah. This is having an issue, <laughs> you know? And I'm like, I, I'll, I'll be right there. You know, I'm the facility manager. So, um, yeah. and I think that they, they see that happen and they see like, Oh, the leadership here is great. And now they're here busted, busting their, their knuckles on their hands and knees, cleaning stuff and preparing stuff and making sure that we have this space. So, um, for them, they appreciate that so much that, you know, we can count on them to be accountable and uphold our standards. Mm -hmm. And they, they know our, our thought process and our intentions behind the reason that we do the things that we do. So it's almost like, like the name of our salon, we invite them in to be a part of that inner circle. Like when I've worked at places, I've never felt more supportive or wanted to be more supportive of that industry or that space that I worked in because they almost like they pulled me in the inner circle like, hey, this is what we're doing. This is what we're thinking. What's your opinion on it? And I felt like I was more on board and more part of that inner circle. So we bring everybody into that circle. Now, I know there can be some challenges with bringing everyone into the inner circle. Everybody has an opinion all of a sudden. If they don't get their opinion, you know, if we don't choose their opinion, but um, we've been really careful. And again, like Lucas said, it all goes back to the hiring process. We really make sure those people want to be along for the ride because um, yeah. we don't want to fire anybody. That's like no one's intention is to ever be like, I can't wait to fire somebody. You know, no one ever says that. Um, so in, in our minds, you know, we want to hire people that want to be along with us for the entire journey. And so it starts there. Um, just like in a, a hairdressing appointment, the, the consultation dictates how everything else goes forward. And that interview, those couple of interviews that we do with people, that dictates if they want to be along for the ride and if we want them to be along for the ride as well. So when we bring them in that inner circle, we trust what they're going to say and how they're going to react. Yeah, it sounds like, um, I keep trying to think of the movie, <laughs> Robert De Niro in it, was when you keep talking about the inner circle. Uh, Robert De Niro and, and, and Dustin, the fog, meet the Fockers or something. Yeah, the circle yeah. of trust. The circle of trust. That's what Yeah, you're dead right with with what you said there um, when you were talking. It's all, all comes down to recruitment, doesn't it? it it's mm -hmm. like if you hire people, and I know you're not technically hiring them. But mm -hmm. if you hire people that already share your vision and values, that is a much better way to build a business yeah. than hiring people or bringing people into your team and then trying to change them to believe in your vision and values. That's always right. So that's that's really at the essence of how you're how you're having control without having control. The control that you have is the people that you recruit in the first place. That's the control. And I think what helps with that is we have like a three-headed spear as far as leadership goes. It's Clinton, Lauren, and myself. So, um, you know, for instance, all three of us can't be present during an interview or something like that. Then, mm -hmm. you know, if it's the two of us, we report back. We have a three-way call. We're like, hey, if it's not a hard yes, it's a no. Mm -hmm. You know, and that's really what it came down to is like, is this person going to add value to the recipe? If they're yeah. not, it's there's no point. You know, mm -hmm. we're not going to invite like some bad ingredient to ruin the whole batch. So um, 
for us to kind of share that perspective because each of us offers a different perspective and thought process when it comes to anything we do. So between the three of us, it actually works pretty well for us to to build a team and build a space. And I think mm-hmm. that helps a lot too. Yeah. Yeah. Does does Lauren do hair as well or does she look after the business side or what? Uh, yeah, both actually. So she's like the superhero, I feel like, yeah, she's uh, like of the, the space. Yeah. Super mom. Super mom. Yeah. <laughs> And so, yeah, she's been a hairdresser for about 15 years or so, um, and she's been an educator uh, for Paul Mitchell, and she worked in the schools as well, and just a great hairdresser behind the chair. Uh, she's yeah. one of those hairdressers that I believe is like a true hairdresser. She does a little bit of everything. There's there's no there's nothing that's outside of her comfort zone, um, and it's pretty inspiring because she's so good at you know creating. Uh, a clientele that she wants. Uh, she's she's really, it's easy for her to say no to some things um, that she doesn't actually want to do because she is so full and so far booked. Um, yeah. So it allows her to do the hair she wants to do. So she's happy when she's doing hair. Um, and then she loves the business. I mean, the, the, the three-headed spear that, you know, Lucas was talking about, she loves her space and her role. I love my space and my role. And so does Lucas. Um, and it helps because it's hard to replicate, you know what I mean? To like take what we have and then say, here's what you should do. Um, cause we just happen to be like, he's one of my favorite friends that I have. And then obviously I'm in love with my wife. So that helps a lot. And, uh, yeah. so that three, yeah, those, the three of us working together helps create this three dimensional, um, kind of plan and how we work. So Lauren does a lot of the business, um, and the day-to-day operations, um, of the space as well. Yeah. How many people on the team in total? Thir- 13, I think, including us. If you count the three the three of us. Yeah, so 10, including the three, and then 13 with the three of us. Mm-hmm. Okay, and well, I, I know I know that you both work as educators, sort of mm-hmm. as, a, as, as a separate business. It's a side hustle, basically, isn't it? That, you know, yeah. that you do. I know that you work, Clinton, through some uh, Paul Mitchell schools, and I know that together you also have another company, Varsity Education, where you're, yeah. you know, out on the road doing all that. So, um, yeah, there's a lot going on there. Uh, so, so with the 10 people that are working out of Citizen, are, mm-hmm. are they all full time or, you know, do they do like, do they have to guarantee a certain amount of days or hours or how does that work? Um, yeah, I, I mean, with, with Citizen, we kind of tried to tier our rental agreements. So people have an option and flexibility because we still wanted to maintain the idea of having some freedom. You know, people have lives, people have families, mm-hmm. people got kids, newborns, they need to kind of have some flexibility or maybe they're just coming back to work. Mm-hmm. So for us, we decided that like, oh, a tiered rental system made the most sense. So people have an option on the rental agreement to agree to a certain amount of days. Now, um, because we have seven stations and 10 employees, there are some overlap and some people share stations. So um, in the beginning, we had options for people to do one day, three days or full time. Mm-hmm. If they went full time, that means they could work up to six days a week. Um, mm-hmm. But being a full time rental renter, they paid the, you know, the full time weekly rental mm-hmm. rate mm-hmm. that would give them their own station all the time. Um, and a bit of freedom with their schedule. They could work up to six days. Mm -hmm. If you went one day or three days, 
then you would share a station. And when you weren't working, someone else would use it. So we're trying to maximize the real estate at that point. Mm-hmm. And so we've had stylists start with one day, add another day, go to three days, go from three days to full time. So there is options to kind of make adjustments based on your rental agreement and mm-hmm. how busy you are. Because some people want to start with one day, fill that up, add another day, fill that up, and then and so on. So for us, it made sense to kind of have that option because as a new hairdresser, I know I've gone through the experience of going through commission, booth rent, things like that. There's no way I could have done booth rent fresh out of school. Mm. I just wouldn't have been able to make the money to pay it weekly. Yeah. So it made sense for me to start my career in a commission salon, and then now I work booth rent. But we wanted to have the option because a lot of hairdressers are coming out of school and looking at like Sola suites and things like that. We're like, well, why don't you just come you know, hang out at our space and do the same thing. So we wanted to have that opportunity for them too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Have you got any assistants, any trainees in the mix? Um, we did for, so Lauren, since she was so busy um, mm-hmm. and she was trying to um, maybe utilize some of her knowledge and experience to help grow another individual. Um, there was, there's been one girl so far and she kind of just graduated from her assistant position, which Lauren was kind of sad about. That's always the trouble with assistants is you love them while you have them and they and get, they're not you know, assistants forever. Yeah, they're not assistants yeah. forever. Yeah, um, she's now one of our part-time stylists as well. So it was a great integration into you know the family for her to assist, see how Lauren does things, um, and be able to build her clientele beside her on some of those days that she wasn't assisting. So we had this little hybrid um, experiment, I guess, where she assisted a couple days and then she took clients a couple days. So that way, whatever she learned assisting, she could then apply that same week um, instead of doing it for a year, which I think that's what we did. Yeah. We assisted for an entire year, just mm-hmm. watching someone else be really good at hair. Here's a yeah. foil. Here's a foil. <laughs> Here's another one. You know what I mean? And so learning that was great, but at the same time, this is immediate two days. She assists two days. She's working in the salon so she can, there's a quick skill transfer from day to day. And I think we, you know, we've yeah. toyed around with the idea of an assistant program, mm-hmm. you know, based on how busy the salon gets, because if it keeps going the way it's going, there's going to be a certain point where the mm-hmm. salon needs an assistant. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. So we've been actually talking about and having conversations on what that would look like and how we could do that in the citizen way. Um, mm-hmm. Haven't really figured it out yet or mm-hmm. found the need for it yet, but it is definitely uh, on the horizon, I think. Yeah. And so what, they would be an employee of the salon? Yeah. Right. Yeah, okay. like we, we talked about that. We talked about other options, um, kind of like different ways that we could kind of build their career path mm-hmm. a lot like mm-hmm. we did with Ru- her name. I'm going to say her name. Ru- her name is Ruby. Um, yeah. Ruby had a bit of overlap with assistant and stylist. So she kind of made that transition really smooth and that worked really well. So we're trying to figure out how we could build that into like a solidified kind of program mm-hmm. or a career path for people that want to start that way. Yeah, got it. Okay. What what would um, a typical a salon like yours as as a rental thing? What what sort of money is a hairdresser paying? You know, to rent. You know, by the hour, by the day, by the week, or whatever. What would be a ballpark figure that they they would expect? Um, I think, from my perspective, what I've heard is anywhere from you know, given on what area and what salon mm-hmm. you're in in San Diego County, which is really big. Yeah. 
um, could be anywhere from $200 a week to 380 a week. Yeah. It just depends right. on what the salon provides and what, what location you're at, what kind of demographic is coming in and out of there. Um, but it's kind of anywhere from 200 to about 380. I've heard. Yeah. It almost doubles in some places. Yeah. yeah. From two to four almost. Yeah. Right. So, for, and that's for a week. One week, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah, 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 cool. And so, if they're doing like in your business, one or two days, whatever, it's a sort of a proportionate pro rata, yeah. like a percentage of that, yeah, to prorated. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we want yeah. to be able to, we want to be able to, you know, give a little bit of a benefit to someone who you know decides to work here more days. The more they invest into us, we want to invest into them. So we do give them a little bit of a break in price the more days that they do rent from us. Yeah, yeah, with. You know, with you, as I referred to you at the beginning, as being like new generation of salon owners, um, you know, the way that you, the way that you're talking and the culture that you're creating, et cetera, and the people that you've got working there, uh, you know, there would be a lot of people watching this that would think that that's exactly how I want to run my business or that's exactly the sort of business that I want to work in. It does. It, it jars, obviously, uh, with a lot of old school salon owners that mm-hmm. were sort of brought up through that employee employer based business model. Yeah. Um, I'm not asking you a direct question here. I just want you to talk about the the mindset of young people today. You know, the people that you're employing, the ten people that you've got. Uh, and I know that you alluded to the fact that you have a queue of people who would like to work there. You know, so there are there is no shortage of people who want to work in a business like yours with that freedom and that flexibility, et cetera. Um, so I'm wanting you to talk to us about that, about that, that mindset that exists in young hairdressers today about freedom, about flexibility, about lifestyle, about the, you know, the cultural fit, the environmental fit, the values, all of that sort of stuff. Talk to us about that. Well, I think new generation and even us, I think that, you know, after pandemic that had like a good amount of things to do with things that kind of shifted people's minds to realize, man, I don't have to go into a business and clock in every day. You know, we, we realized some things were being able to do by remote, you know, people could work from home more so than we ever thought they could, you know, um, there were a bunch of shifts that way, a bunch of shifts in priorities, a bunch of shifts internally within their family and things like that. So um, I think a lot of people are asking now moving forward, what's in it for me and in, in a good way. And I don't mean like in a selfish, prideful, like I deserve all these things, what's in it for me, but they're looking at things with an analytical mind. Like if, if I do this, if I commit to this, um, what's going to be in it for me? And I think that, you know, as I think we are maybe young souls, I'm a little older than Lucas. I'm going to say a little bit. I mean a lot, but we, we have like a little bit of a, a young soul to us where I think we fit in more with a younger generation than we do with maybe our peers as far as our age. And I think we've always been like that. Even growing up, I felt a- like AKA it was we're a little immature. Immature. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I, I get it. I, yeah. I, I'm older than both of you, and I'm more than a little immature as well. So. <laughs> I know. Uh, I feel like there's nothing wrong with it. Uh, but yeah, we, there's nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with it. Um, but we we want to we want to fill that need. We want to we want to provide something that's going to benefit them. Um, just like I would want, you know, if I walked into a sauna, it'd be really difficult for me to charge a hundred dollars for a haircut and then slide $60 over to somebody else and then keep this 40 bucks. Um, so 
I think as a new generation hairdresser, they're looking at business models thinking like, wait, I have to sign an, uh, an agreement saying that if I quit, you get all my clients and I can't have their numbers, you know, and, and you know, with social media, that's, I'm the one that got all those clients. It's a different world now. There's not really walk-ins, you know, people aren't just walking by thinking, you know what, I'm going to get a balayage today and this place looks clean enough. And that girl looks like she does her hair well. So I'm going to get a balayage. No one does that. Um, the first thing that we do when we're looking to go to dinner is we do this and we start scrolling and finding out reviews, you know, on our phones. Or look at the menu. Yeah. We look at the, yeah. You can look at the menu online. There's, there's no way, you know, people don't really hand out menus anymore. There's a QR code. So things have evolved and they're different these days. So we have to think about the walk-in model doesn't work as well as it used to. Um, and we have to understand that these individual people are creating their own clientele on their own through their social media. So we have to understand and we have to have uh, a good boots on the ground understanding that Amber or whoever works at our salon has made reels on her Instagram. She's taken these photos. She's downloaded some apps to help, you know, um, edit some photos. And she's done all of this work on her own when she's quote unquote clocked out and at home. And so we need to understand that they worked really hard to bring those people in and it's almost like we want to partner and collaborate with those people. And I think those people want that as well. They want to have a say and they want to have an input. Um, whereas an old, you know, model that, that we've you know, either been a part of before or that we've seen or just heard of or know some people that own salons, the ones that are struggling are the ones that are like, you have to pay your dues, you know, <laughs> pay your dues is I think a thing of the past almost. You have to pay your dues here. You have to prove to me that you want this and then we'll give you a job, whereas now people can do that on their own and they have a lot of proving up front to do, um, you know, before they get hired. So I think a new generation of hairdressers looking at a salon saying, what's in it for me? Um, and they're, they're, le they're more about the educators now, more so than they used to be about the entertainers. Um, people would entertain and be like, oh my gosh, I want to work with that person because oh, their Instagram, they're doing these crazy things with their scissors and, you know, doing weird stuff. And they're like, man, I want a piece of that. And then when they get to their salon, it's like, they didn't highlights, you know? And so we, we, we understand that it's more about education than it is about entertainment um, yeah. because we have that boots on the ground. We take clients, you know, we use our Instagram to, to book people and we have solid days that we book. And so I think working alongside them instead of being in an office in the back, you know, crunching numbers and making decisions, we're the ones that are like, man, this doorknob is kind of hard to open. We should change this doorknob. You know, like we're part of it and we're integrated into working side by side with them. And that's one of the most important things that I think a new generation hairdresser looks for. I think to elaborate on that, too, is that, you know, we talk about social media. You could have a, a, a hairdresser finish beauty school and have a massive social media presence yeah. and a wait list and they can have all that ahead of time. So not only is social media, but just technology in general mm -hmm. has like almost acclimated us to everything moving faster. So now when you get a new hairdresser, they're like, I don't want to assist. I could, I already got a clientele. I don't need to. Mm -hmm. So we wanted to give them the opportunity to kind of move at your own pace, choose your own destiny. Um, we're here to support you any way that you can. And, and we would hope that you would want to do the same in return, but because life and technology makes things so accessible and so fast, you know, you can't, it's hard for us to look at like an old business model and be like, this is going to work now when things are going, you know, we're in the fast lane, we're going twice as fast as we used to go. So we need mm -hmm. to kind of like adjust and adapt on the fly. Absolutely. What, what about though, from, 
uh, I'm playing devil's advocate here, okay? Uh, from the business owner's point of view, so just a quick bit of math, you know, if you've got 10 people and uh, let's say they're on average uh, going to be paying you 300 a week on average, okay? So there's three grand a week. Now, you are responsible, you, the two of you, to your business. So you're paying the rent, you're paying the insurance, you're paying, um, you know, uh, bank fees, you're paying product costs, you're, you know, you're pay- all those bits and pieces that go on, you know, utilities, et cetera, et cetera, that all go on in the background to, mm. uh, to make a business happen. Uh, to make a business be viable and profitable, you know, for the owners, because you're also the guys who invested, you know, sweat equity and a chunk of money to get the doors open. Um, What about from that perspective? Is it still able to work for you as business owners? Yeah, I think we we ask that same question ourselves. What's in it for us? You know, the, that question as a new hairdresser entered our mind as well. Like, you know, I remember us sitting in a circle in here thinking like, is this going to work? Like, you know, and, and we're, I kind of think we said, I don't know. <laughs> I think we kind of might have been like, hmm, I guess we'll see, you know, it's a, it's a good chance to take because we're trying to create something that we want to work in as well. We want to create a space where we're like, man, I can't wait to be there. And this is where, mm-hmm. you know, we could even hang out if we wanted to without clients. And so um, as far as like the number crunching side of it, um, we had to make sure that we were one, just continuing the business. Uh, but mm. two, is it a way for us to eventually, I think we had said this before on the car ride is, you know, can we use this to potentially retire someday? Like, can this be our retirement plan? Um, and I think there's an evolution of it. I think, you know, at, at the core of what we are, um, we want to have community over competition. We want to provide a place that we would want to work in. Um, and we want to help hairdressers make money. That's the core. That's what, that's what we do as Citizen Salon and Creative Space. Um, and then on top of that, you know, is it a viable business to continue? We have some really, we have some lucky situations. We happen to be on the Coast Highway um, in one of the most beautiful cities in the, in the U.S. And then we're three blocks from the ocean. Um, and it's such a great area. We have a ton of windows. And the, a ton of parking. A ton of parking that's free, 2,200 square feet of a salon. And so... Our rent was actually lower, and I hope our landlord isn't watching this, but uh, <laughs> we'll block them from this. We're not going to tell them about it. Uh, but we're, we're, we have a really low, low rental, you know, for our or for our lease. And we okay. actually, it's that low. We're going to sign it. Can we sign? How long can we sign a lease for? You know, yeah. and so. Yeah. You want to sell it? Yeah, we want to sell it. Yeah. So we signed a five-year lease when we got the place because we wanted to mm. lock that price in for as long as we could. Um, knowing that the space could grow if we needed it to be because there's a good amount of space and we could adjust. It's one big room um, that we could change and make some other adjustments we needed to hit the gas on bringing in more money. Mm -hmm. One of the other things that helps us out as well is our products that are on the shelves that we sell. Um, We have an agreement where, you know, normally I think when we work in the salon, we would get a percentage. Um, Mm -hmm. But since we provide them free education, towel service, or we're, we're the towel service, we provide towels, washer and dryer, educate all these things that we provide them mentorship that they, they know that all the stuff that they sell from products goes back into the business to help creating a unique space because we have a lot of hairdressers that have worked down the street at amazing salons that we've driven by. And we're like, man, that place looks awesome in there. You know, um, we've had people come from those places being like, man, it's beautiful, but I, I make half, I made half the money that I make now. 
same clientele. Yeah. And well, so, see, that, that, that's where, sorry to jump in there. It, it's, um, you know, t- when you talk about the numbers and you were saying, can this work? Yeah. Well, I believe it can work. Mm-hmm. I, b- I believe, you know, that, that, that culturally, yeah. the sense of community, all that sort of stuff can work yeah. if you are charging enough. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. If you mm-hmm. are charging enough as rent, because I, I dare say for the 10 people that are working there in any type of business model like that, if they're doing three grand a week behind the chair and they're only paying 300 a week for rent, well, they're walking out the door with an enormous smile on their face. Do you know what I mean? Because they're doing really well without any of the risk out of it. So I think it can work. I can work for both. And that's sure. the ideal thing that you want to aim for. You know, as you just said, they said they make half the money there that they're making, you know, uh, now. Mm-hmm. So it's definitely working for them, which is good because you want it to work for them, you know, right. because if, if it works for them, they're happy, the loyalty, the longevity, the, you know, the energy they bring to the place. It's good. And you, and you want to, you know, to be able to, to, to share the, the, in the spoils of business. But it's also got to work for the business owners. And, right. you know, I think many business owners underestimate how much it actually costs to run the business long term. Um, right. And I'm, I'm sure you've had some experiences like that. With, you know, well, we by no means, like, we, we don't have it figured out. Like we <laughs> took over and renovated this space in the middle of a lockdown pandemic in California. Yeah, yes. So we didn't know what we were doing, just throwing money and seeing what stuck. Yeah. And... <laughs> <laughs> we, we haven't you know open clothes oh we you know we're like how are we going to pay our rent yeah and for us it was like you know we were trying to figure it out not only under those circumstances but now that we're kind of like moving in an upward trajectory mm-hmm. we want to keep that momentum and so um a lot of kind of our choices and decisions and perspectives and and things we try and do um we don't know what we're doing, to be mm-hmm. honest with you. We yeah. don't. We don't. I mean, totally honest, we don't know. We're like, yeah. hey, you think this will work? Let's try it. Mm-hmm. But the cool part is that we're, you know, a smaller business. We've got three people at the head at the steering wheel. Mm-hmm. So if we don't like something, we'll just change it. Yeah. You know, yeah. we'll try it. If it doesn't work, we'll change it. You know, mm-hmm. if this doesn't yeah. work, we'll change it. So we're trying to create new ideas and new ways to kind of run a business. And mm-hmm. it's definitely gaining momentum. And it wasn't profitable in the beginning and now it's becoming more and more and more and more and more profitable so we're definitely Mm. figuring out how to like maximize the business keep the community and and try and do all the right things Mm -hmm. um and it's exciting and risky and fun and terrifying and just fills (laughs) all all at the same time yeah exactly um how important we touched on retail a a couple of times different come at it from different angles from from the hair product Mm-hmm. Uh, side of this, the hair care, the take home. Uh, how important is that to your business model? Mm-hmm. You talked a minute ago about how your team recognize that the importance of that in terms of that being, uh, you know, what makes the business be able to reinvest into all these other things. So talk to us about that side of your business. Someone told me a long time ago, never forget who brought you to the dance in the first place. And so, you know, Paul Mitchell has by all means done so many phenomenal things for Lucas and I, and we're both, you know, educators for them. And we have a lot of experience and we believe in what's behind the bottle. Um, And we've been able to, being that it is a booth rental salon, we've had the opportunity to be able to introduce some of our uh, stylists to a company that they might not have known before. 
Um, so that's been a really cool piece of that and bringing some of the culture that we've learned from working either like me in Palm Mitchell schools or Lucas in Palm Mitchell salons, what we've been able to do is to bring some of that amazing culture that they've done for us um, and inject it into our salon, not only with just how we run things and how we treat people, but in addition to that, the products themselves and how they work. Um, so we've had a phenomenal time being able to introduce them to some products that they might not have known about or loved before. Um, and then honestly, like we want to partner with people who have the same mindset and the same heartbeat that we do. Um, and one of those is just integrity in companies, you know, a lot of companies that work with under a lot of integrity and they care about hairdressers is our number one goal. So that's, that's the biggest piece of how we decide who we partner with, because it does, no matter what, that kind of bleeds into the salon. You know, if you have on the shelves a product, like what it's a 10 or something you get from target, Chris, Kristen S or, or whatever, you know, swallow. Uh, swallow. <laughs> if you put that on the shelves, there's going to be like a connection there. And, um, then you become like a Walgreens or a CBS salon. And so we wanted to partner with a lot of brands that have integrity, um, not only in how they run their business, but the products themselves. So it's a huge, important thing to us as well. And I think from a stylist standpoint, you know, from day one, we actually had everybody in the same room and we're like, Hey, do you guys want to make commission on your products mm -hmm. that you sell? Or do you want to see that show up in the business, you know, as a benefit to you? Yeah. They're like, oh my gosh, just, you know, put it back in the business. You know, we're able to keep product on the shelf. We're able to keep product on the floor for them to use. Mm -hmm. You know, we're constantly making improvements physically to the space. Like, oh, we got a bunch of new stools for people to sit down and mm -hmm. cut lines so they're not breaking their back, you know? <laughs> um, and we're, we're looking at like, okay, who do you want? Like, what kind of education do you want? Do you want someone that's like a social media educator? Do you want mm -hmm. someone that's like built a reputation? Okay, mm -hmm. we're going to use the spawn funds to bring them in so that they see it. You know, it's not like, hey, we're just going to take your money and like, I'm going to show up in a new car. <laughs> no, like they see it physically show up other ways in the space. And I think for them, they're like, oh my gosh, this is great. Like, you know, if I sell a lot of product, that's what allows us to keep your rent fairly affordable. That's what allows us to do these things that are a benefit to you. So give and um, take. yeah, it's a little trade off. Like, hey, you know what? If, if we kind of hit these benchmarks, then... You know, we're going to, you know, get something, you know, I, I don't know. We're going to take a trip. We're going to do a mm -hmm. team building thing, you know, yeah. so they see it physically show up and it doesn't just disappear. And I think for us, it's been, like I said, from the beginning, it's been being transparent. Like, hey, you know what, if this is the case, we can give you your commission. But if you want to mm -hmm. kind of, you know, donate it, I guess, um, or allow it to go to the salon, you're going to see it physically show up. Mm -hmm. Whereas maybe if they were taking commission, those you know, physical improvements or team things or anything we do to build the culture are going to be more spread out or fewer and far between. So um, it's yeah. a bit of a trip and, and a kind of a, an agreement and everybody yeah. on the team is on board. So, yeah. okay. And do you, you know, because I know you both, you know, you've been in the industry a while you've worked in salons where commissions paid and where targets are set and, you know, you get reports on your productivity for, for take home sales, et cetera, et cetera. Um, what I'm asking you is, as a percentage of your total business revenue, have you noticed a, a, a fall off um, in retail sales because you have independence or is it still, you know, proportionately about the same? I mean, do you know what, what percentage of your revenue is coming from retail? I think it's 25% maybe is coming from uh the products on the shelf because wow. 
I think what what we because Lauren and I were looking at some numbers a little bit, and I think it's twenty five percent because we we have a we've been I mean the we, orders that we get we sell a lot of products we sell a, a lot, lot of products, and I think it's because they understand since it is this trade off if we buy you know Awapui wild ginger you know um, styling treatment oil right and we buy mm. that we stock a shelf full of it and we put some on the shelves for them to use. And they're using a ton of it, but they're not selling it. We're not going to reorder it because it yeah. doesn't make any sense on our end of it. So if they love the way that the Hydro Cream Whip works in someone's hair and that's their go-to product, they mm. better tell their client, hey, this is what I'm using in your hair. And if you want to recreate what I'm doing here at home, the second best thing to take me home with you is to taking this home with you. <laughs> you know. And mm. so if they're using that dialogue and people are taking things home with them, we have the ability to provide that again. So the hair that walks out looks good. Their social media looks better because of the, the hydro cream whip that we have. You know, they understand how, what that actually means. It doesn't mean that there's money in our pockets. Like Lucas said, we're not coming up with a new car. It means that their Instagram looks better, that their clients are going to be a little bit more faithful to coming back to them. Um, and they're going to be able to, to use the products they want to use um, because they are selling it. And so I think it's kind of by doing that, they can take some ownership. So mm -hmm. we've kind of flipped the script from a commission model where we turn an expectation into an opportunity. Mm -hmm. It's like they're selling it. They're doing it, you know. Um, and actually, from what I've seen, it's actually caused us to actually sell more products, mm -hmm. uh, weirdly enough. Well, it's well, not like it's, a It's really interesting, you know. They don't get like this. We don't get this thing where we pull them in the back and say, hey, Stacy, it looks like you haven't been selling anything lately. And they're like, oh, my God, you know, or whatever. They, they, there's no excuses. They physically see the repercussion of it on the shelf. There's an empty shelf right there. It's like, well, that's because of me. You know, they, there's a physical representation instead of a report card. You know, mm -hmm. you're down, you know, 10 percent. And they're like, so what? You know, it, so it, it's, it changes it. No one ever when I went to the back of a salon and someone said, you haven't sold anything in a week. I'd have been like, okay. Well, yeah, it's it, it's interesting this because if it, I know you said I think, okay, so I'm saying if uh, if 25 percent of your revenue mm -hmm. is coming from retail sales, that is very very high. Yeah, when you're when you're comparing it to other salons, it's it's like when I say very very high, it's more than double the, what yeah. most salons would be doing. Yeah. So that either means that you're doing a shed load of retail. Mm -hmm. um, or it means that you're not generating that much money from rent. From the 75%. Right? Yeah, that the, that the other 75% is just not that much. Do you, do you know what I mean? So so I suppose me asking you um, what percentage of your retail is coming from revenue is actually the wrong question with a mm -hmm. rental-based model. That probably the right bit because you're not generating revenue from services, except the ones that the three of you do behind the chair. You're right. generating revenue from rent. So mm -hmm. probably a better question would it be to ask, in terms of wondering about the effectiveness of renters and selling take-home, probably a better question for me to have asked would have mm -hmm. been what percentage of their clients purchase take-home? Mm, do you know what I mean? Impressive. Like that, that that would be a better one to 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 ask. But listen, th this has been fantastic. I'm I'm you know I knew I was going to enjoy talking to you. We haven't touched on education, and I know education is a big side of what we do. So let's uh, what you guys do. Uh, so so you know for the next five minutes or so, just just tell me 
about that side of your business? Because I know you have varsity education, but I also know um, uh, that that uh, Clinton work out of seven Paul Mitchell schools and an education capacity. And I know, Lucas, that you work as, a, as an educator. I'm not quite sure how it sort of fits in with the rest of the business. So uh, t- tell us how important that side of your business is and how you feel about the education side of things. Well, um, yeah, being the fact that um, working for Paul Mitchell schools was the the kickstart to me, even understanding how important education was. Um, I'm the cutting director for seven Paul Mitchell schools. I work for a phenomenal owner um, who's doing it right as far as the hair industry schools are concerned. And um, he has the future in mind. And so I've decided to partner with him to help out with um, his education and, and and to keep those schools consistent. So I get the opportunity to see a lot of hairdressers, a lot of new hairdressers. Um, it gives me a fresh perspective. Um, and then Lucas working for Paul Mitchell and traveling internationally, being able to see a lot of hairdressers at hair shows and classes. We've kind of kept our finger on the pulse of two spectrums, you know, new hairdressers and then hairdressers that might be burnout looking for some inspiration, you know. And so we've we've been able to through Paul Mitchell have some crossover. You know, we've invited Lucas to some cutting specialist trainings, and he's taught a lot of our um, hair cutters that uh, work in our schools. And then with that partnership, we decided like, you know, because people were asking us to teach classes on the side, like, hey, Lucas, can you teach a class? Or, hey, Clinton, can you teach a class at our salon? And we didn't really know, we didn't know it too, like you said, how that fit in with our relationship with Paul Mitchell. And so um, having some conversations with them, they were like, we want to support you. We want to hire you. Um, We've done some things for Paul Mitchell as a unit. And so how that fits into our salon space is we've just taken what we've learned from traveling um, to all these salons. Like I just went to Pittsburgh. I know you were in Ohio and we get to see how these salons work. We get to find out what's working, what's not working. And we can extract those lessons and be able to apply them here. But in addition to that, we get all this experience from teaching these hairdressers. What are they missing? What do they need to know? Um, What's incredibly common in a day-to-day aspect of their clientele? And then we can adjust and take those little pieces and then apply them to our stylist here. So I think just just experience-wise, we get a lot of teaching under our belt. So when we do have classes here, they see that they're working for three people that they could go to um, for color education, cutting education, business education. Um, and I think it helps the the person that decides to partner with us. Yeah, and I think what from a citizen standpoint, we always build our education calendar while the team is all present. Yeah, we ask everybody, what do you guys want to see? Hey, for July's education class, what do you guys want? You know, for um, August September, uh, August September, what do you guys want to see? So mm-hmm. sometimes they're like, hey, we want to do like vivid colors, or we want hair cutting, or we want product knowledge, taxes. or we want taxes, <laughs> or we want like a content mm-hmm. day where we can take new headshots and do a model. So we leave it up to the team, and as a group, we lay it out, and we're like, okay, here's what's going on for the next quarter. Mm-hmm. Um, next time we do a little. Uh, team touch base, we'll, we'll map out the rest of it. So it's consistent every month. We've got something going on. Um, and sometimes it's education. Sometimes it's content. Sometimes it's product knowledge. Sometimes it's doing some team building. So yeah. we kind of mix it up and we keep the team happy with what they want. We give them what they want. Yeah. Or try okay. our best. If it's something we can't do, like say they want a product knowledge class, we'll bring in an educator from the brand or from the distributor to come in. If it's haircutting, we'll do it. Or if it's, you know, maybe it's a hands-on haircutting class and we bring in someone else. So we yeah. make sure that they have a variety of education exposure um, yeah. as it relates to our team here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Uh, just to, what, one last question, Clinton, for you with the, 
you know, the fact that you're so in touch with beauty school, you know, graduates, um, what do you, what do you see in, in Gen Z, you know, uh, new graduates, um, what do you see in terms of their perception of the industry and the opportunity? And are they are they realistic? Are they? I mean, I hate that expression. You got to pay your dues. You know, that's just the wrong expression. But but mm. but there's also you two are great at doing hair. You weren't great at doing hair the day you came out of beauty school. Neither were neither were I. Yeah, but. Yeah young 20 year olds today they've been brought up in a world of instant gratification and and instagram etc and mm-hmm. i often wonder about that i'm not i'm not going to say you have to pay your dues i'm just going to say listen it takes time to mm-hmm. develop the skills the knowledge the wherewithal to be able to do this and when mm-hmm. you can do this that's when you start earning proportionately so What's, what's your comment on that with what you see in young people today? I think there is this weird dichotomy of they understand the reality of it. They understand that you do have to work hard and there is more to learn. And they, 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 they can see people on their phones on a break. You know, they're in, they're in hair school and they go on a break. They can open up their phone and see a bunch of different educators. And so they, have, they, they understand there's a realistic they – they have to earn a skill. Um, but they also – on the business side of it, they want to, again, have their um, input be heard. They, they don't want to be just an employee. They want to be a part of the process and they want to have their hands in something bigger. And when I say bigger, I don't mean bigger like a huge mega salon, um, like a globo gym or something. They want, to, they want to be able to have their input into a small community and to be heard and to be seen and for people to take them on and help cultivate them. Um, we have a newer hairstylist here and the reason that she wanted to work for us is because she knew that we would help her with any challenge that she had. So she knew she had to grow a skill, but she also didn't want to work. She could have worked at any mega salon. They would have hired her in a second. Mm -hmm. Um, but she wanted to be in a place that's going to help see her as an individual and not as one of the other 50 people that work there. And so, um, I think it was important for me to know. You know, because again, we're th- we could think, oh, we could put two more chairs over there. Or we could put some sliders in the middle and make our space twice as, you know, beneficial to our pockets and stuff. But then we would start to lose maybe the the benefit of having these like um, moments where we could coach her and grow her and she could get a lot of benefit out of it. Mm-hmm. Um, where at the same time, she understands that she needs to build a skill, but wants to be a part of something that's deeper not bigger is the wrong word but something that's more than just herself so not getting a solo suite where she's alone and she's just doing the same thing she did in hair school um she's around a community but something that's not too big that's going to overshadow her as an individual i think on the other end of the spectrum um i think more so you see hairdressers come into the community newer hairdressers that want that instant gratification like you mentioned mm-hmm. um they're so used to getting it that mm. From a, from a mentorship standpoint, a lot of times you're you're coaching these young hairdressers to enjoy the process, trust the process, and have fun. Like, mm-hmm. it's not a race. I think mm-hmm. that sometimes people get caught up in, like, trying to get to the finish line so fast that they don't, they don't gain as much as they can along the way. And, yeah. and it's such a rushed thing that, for me, I, 
I find that like, hey man, like you're doing awesome and you're <laughs> learning so much. Like you don't need to punch your ticket to the finish line yet. Like, you know, make sure you're still having fun. A lot of people get caught up in being a workaholic and trying to go, go, yeah. go, 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 go. I'm like, hey man, you gotta have, I, I've done mm -hmm. what you've done. I've mm -hmm. been there and healthy boundaries are necessary. So mm -hmm. um, it's a marathon, not a sprint, but that's the one thing that I've noticed. And the person that loves the, the person that loves running is gonna go further than the person that's the destination. And that's, that's resonated with me. Like, how do I enjoy this? Mm. Especially even in haircutting, how do I enjoy this process? Or if we're buying new brooms for the salon, like how do we enjoy this process? Like what's the coolest broom we yeah. could get? What's the coolest <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> oh, we're sending pictures back and forth. Like what's yeah. the coolest one? What's gonna look the nicest? Like, well, look, that's that's the perfect place to uh, to wrap up. Uh, whereabouts people that are, are are watching this? Where can they connect with you uh, afterwards on Instagram or any other social channels? Where would you point them towards? Um, Instagram is probably the best option. Yeah. We've got Citizen Salon on Instagram. We've got Varsity Hair Education on Instagram. We've got Clinton Cuts Hair on mm -hmm. Instagram, and then my handle is just my name, Lucas Doni. So yeah. that's usually the best platform. That's where we're most active, most present. And um, yeah. we, we, we get back to everything that happens there. So mm -hmm. Cool. Well, look, it's been fantastic talking with you. Uh, so to wrap up, uh, Clinton Norris and Lucas Doney, I, I hope I've been saying that right. Uh, I've got a yeah. funny feeling I weren't. Uh, <laughs> thank you. Thank you for uh, being on this live stream on behalf of John Paul Mitchell Systems. So it's been great talking to you. I've thoroughly enjoyed the conversation. So. Absolutely. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Cheers. Okay. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. If you'd like to connect with us, you'll find us at growmysalonbusiness.com or on Facebook and Instagram at growmysalonbusiness. And if you enjoyed tuning into our podcast, make sure that you subscribe, like, and share it with your friends. Until next time, this is Anthony Whitaker wishing you continued success.